Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. I want to thank everyone who continues to send wonderful messages online and personally through email, letting me know about the impact that this podcast has had on them and their lives and the people they love in their lives. And I thank everyone for your support. And I also wanted to do a special shout out for the people who have gone to patreon.com slash indoctrination and have decided to help support this show for $10 or more a month. I really value your support so much more than you realize. So thank you to Alex, Ann and Richard, Brianna, Camus, Christina, Jake, James, Katrina, Ken, Lillian, Linda, Maureen, Miss Nanya, and Cynthia and Peter, Scott, and Sylvia Enbert. Really, thank you so, so much. I wanted to let you know, too, that I am open to hearing from you if you would like to tell your story on the podcast and it fits in with the theme. And also, if you know of someone who would like to share their story or the story of someone they cared about where something like this happened to them, please contact me at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com or you can find us on the Indoctrination Show Facebook page. Let me know. Let me know because I know there are a lot of stories out there and a lot of people who would like to share them. You don't have to use your name. It's okay. We just want to be able to hear about what you went through so that it can be a cautionary tale for other people. And also, if it's something you were able to get through and how you got through it and kind of to the other side. So thank you so much. Let me know. Today on the show, I am so happy to have Samantha Itzen. She's such an interesting person because she has such an interesting and unique story. And I'm so happy that you're going to be able to hear part one of our conversation this week and part two next week. Part two is going to be quite dramatic and emotional and a true study in survival. And I can't wait for you to hear that part as well. Samantha kind of describes herself as the worst Scientologist you'd ever want to meet. She said she never wanted to be one or set out to be one, and she went from being a club kid of the 80s in San Francisco to detoxing and indoctrinating and brainwashing for the most deadly criminal cult in history. These are her words. She said, I never wanted to be a Scientologist, and it showed. But still, the hardest part was leaving, leaving behind the quote-unquote love, leaving behind the people she would never see again. There wouldn't be any catching up for years or fun reunions. There wouldn't be any goodbyes or good wishes. Just a silence and a void. And how could she ever replace that? If you want to hear more about her from her own writing... You can go to the site in accidentalscientologist.com. Here's Samantha now. So I am I'm so happy today to have Samantha Itzen on the show. She's someone who I've wanted to be able to talk to for a long time. 
because she has such an interesting story. Um, and I also just, I, I like the way she expresses herself. She's, she is somebody who um, has had a history that I think is really uh, interesting, but also educational just in terms of what happens when you've had these experiences. And then after you leave, when you want to share them or talk about them or get asked about them, and then what happens to you then? So, you know, a lot of us in the, in this field are used to that and uh, as much as you can get used to it. Um, but we have a lot of support in, in this field as well for people who have been through that kind of fire as, as well. So that's actually a nice thing to know that there is support out there for all of us who are telling our stories or sharing other people's stories with their permission of uh, wrongdoing. And so, Samantha, take it away. Can you introduce yourself and just talk about who you are and, um, and also what you do when you're not talking to me on the podcast? Yeah, my name is Samantha Itson. I uh, was a course supervisor at Narcanon LA uh, for just a few years back in the late 80s and uh, early 90s. Okay, so I know what Narcanon is. Uh, and so some people listening will feel that it is one of the Anon programs, um, like Al-Anon. And That's intentional. They want you to think that. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. Like the Oxford inventory for the personality test. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> got it. Okay. Uh, Narcanon is Scientology. It's, it's the front group for the Church of Scientology. They run it and they market it as a uh, rehab for drug and alcohol addiction. And it's um, nothing could be further from the truth. So that's an interesting thing because there are some people who have said, who have said publicly, well, it's the thing that um, really got me off drugs. And it's the thing that then introduced me to this organization that could really help me get on my way. And, um, I remember hearing recently, and you're the expert, so I want to have you talk more about it, but I just wanted to share this little story about somebody who got involved in Scientology through Narconon, but it turned out that they had kind of convinced him that he was a drug addict, um, and he wasn't. So they kind of cured him of a problem he didn't have, and then he felt like they had done some sort of magic that no other... A uh, person could have ever done. It, I think he had tried something a couple times, but he really was a depressive. So he was self-medicating. He wasn't a drug addict, and so they told him they could help him um, get off drugs, and then they could help him with all of the emotional issues that he was having. So he felt really indebted. He he thought that they had really helped him, and in retrospect, he has the sense that it was never a problem to begin with. Right, and they made their own, you know product basically with them. Right. So, so can you tell us a little bit about Narcan on how it's, how it's run and then also how it's different from the other kind of 12 step or unknown programs? Uh, sure. Narcan on uh, to begin with is a live-in facility and um, they are staffed by um typically they're staffed by people that have graduated the program, so to speak. Um, people that have just done the program on usually right before they quote unquote graduate, 
they get approached and offered um, a position on staff and they'll tell them they'll get uh, free training, free room and board. Um, well, they may not say free, but you know, room and board um, and um, you'll get paid and you know, you'll get most of all trained and that's what people hear. And so you're, that's what I heard. And I was led to believe that I was going to get some type of training that I could take to any rehab, any, you know, nationwide and be able to use it certificate or something, you know, valuable. There is no training at all. Everything is Scientology based. There is no 12 steps at all. There is no sponsorship. There's no, um, group meetings. There's no counseling with your family. Well, I, I'm curious about um, not only, you know, I mean, you said what they didn't do. I'm curious, what did they do? I mean, it's a, I'm sure there were long days. So what, what did happen during those days? Because you sort of crossed everything off the list that people would normally um, expect. Well, that's the first thing you need to do if you're talking about Narconon is cross out anything that makes sense because nothing will make sense from here on out. Promise. Okay. That's, no, I swear to God, that's like my thing with Narconon. I'll tell you about it, and I'd love to talk about it to anybody, but I need them to understand it will not make sense. And the looks that I get, people are like, okay, but 10 minutes into it, they're like, you got to be kidding me. And it's just inconceivable that it's still going on. That the amount of, I mean, two dozen people at least have died, directly related, either at Narconon or due to Narconon. Wow. It's it's ridiculous. Wow. And they always they settle out. I mean, I, I can send you a list. It's there's about twenty one that I can think of off the top of my head to date that are dying in the facilities. And and what happens when that when that happens when someone uh, is endangered in that way or or, or dies? It never happened on my watch. Uh, there was a few times where I thought, oh my god, I'm going to go to jail by the end of this night. Because they bring in people for us to detox. Um, I don't mean to be jumping all over the place. I'm sorry. Um, but they bring in people to detox. And it's cold turkey. I can give them some Calmeg, you know, some calcium and magnesium solution for them to drink. Um, I can give them some B. And we can take them for a B shot in the morning, you know, for their legs not to be kicking. But that's really about it. And there were times where I thought this person's not gonna make it through the night and I don't know what to do. All I could do was give them a body assist, which is a Scientology hands-on, just basically it's supposed to bring the person back to like a present time and in touch with like hands on their body and feeling and type of thing. Um they will also tell you that it releases energies and all this other stuff. Um but that's that's it. So we had nothing equipped. We didn't even have Anybody medically, um, you know, the copter, any med- medically trained on staff, none. Oh, okay. So there were no medical professionals, no licensed medical professionals, no one overseeing what was taking place. So this was based on kind of yet another scientific method, a la purification rundown, kind of. Exactly. And the case supervisor over it you know the guy who can up and down their doses of what they give for the drug uh the vitamins you know and the niacin doses and how long they stay in the bot in the sauna every day 
Someday they might be in for three hours um, in and out. Sometimes they might um, only be see uh, only be uh, directed to go in for uh, an hour and a half and at a lower dose or a higher dose or of the niacin. But that's all at this one guy's discretion, and all he is going off of is what's in the green books, what Hubbard wrote. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, whatever colors those are, green or red. But there is no medical. I mean, there might, there might. And some of them, they may get lucky and have somebody on staff that just happens to be a nurse or something. Mm-hmm. But not by any design, not by any uh, uh, requirement. Okay. We never had a fire drill in the three years that I was there. We never had a CPR class. Wow. I couldn't tell. I mean, I. I say it, I'm like, wait, what? Like, how stupid was I? You know, but I'm thinking, I was 19, 20 years old, you know, 21, 22. And uh, looking back, I'm thinking, I could have absolutely not only killed somebody or let them die on accident, but ruined my life in the interim. And right. Narconon never cared. You know, just like Scientology, they will never stick up for you. It's always your fault. You have to take responsibility. So in between trying to be a good Scientologist and, you know, it, it's, a, it's an impossible balance to ask someone to take this position and take these people's lives that they have already sold the program to based on just fraudulent bullshit. It's quack. There is no medical science behind it. So how many centers are there and where were you in, in the center that you worked in? I was in Narconon, LA. I believe now that they're nationwide. I honestly couldn't tell you um, because there's been a few opening and closing. Mm-hmm. And then they also go under different names now. There's Narconon Warner Springs, but it's not listed as an Narconon often. There's a few of them that don't have an Narconon name attached to them. Right. And, you know, that's all, that also seems to be par for the course where... Uh, I mean, that was actually one of the things to to move away from Scientology for a moment. That was one of the things that made me so intrigued by going into this world, this field, that there were organizations that had all these front names and some many, many, many front names. And so you sometimes had no idea that you were getting involved in the organization. Um, But, you know, once you were in it, then you... I guess either didn't care anymore or these were already your friends or you felt a sense of purpose. And- right. Or you felt indebted or, you know, like, yeah, it's absolutely taking advantage of the most vulnerable population that needs, that's reaching out for help. I mean, people go to rehab because they want to get their life back, you know, and they have hope and choosing one is a huge decision on families, what they go through, you know, can we afford it? What can we sell? What can we, lo- you know, get a loan? What can we mortgage? I- I've seen it all. And, and none of it was nice. And it was very ugly. And it was all lies. Like we have a 85% success rate. Bullshit. Nobody does, first of all. And show me where that's written. They can't. They can show you success stories. And they can show you bogus purification surveys like what i don't care if you want to be a scientologist it's not really about scientology for me it's narconon uh it's about the manipulation the lies and it's downright freaking dangerous 
It is every bad thing you can think of rolled up into, we're going to save your life. We have the answer. Nobody else does. Right. Right. And that 85% success rate, I mean, that, that should be a warning sign for anybody, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It's laughable. I mean, yeah. come on. Right. 30% high. It's, right. It doesn't happen. But you won't find them anywhere, like, saying, okay, well, maybe that's a little, but we still have this to offer. You know, it's always, no, we're the greatest, we're the best. We're, you know, it's always somebody else's fault when somebody dies. Or, you know, it's never the root of the problem is that it's dangerous and Mm -hmm. unproven program. Mm -hmm. If a Scientologist and a healthy person wants to go and sit in the sauna for that long, you know, be my guest. Please go to the doctor first and please don't sell it to somebody that needs to be detoxed off of drugs and alcohol. That's my thing. You know, it's, it's so dangerous. Right. So, and I've also talked to, uh, to adults who were in these saunas who had, um, hypertension, heart issues. Yeah. Um, were so nauseated, but also so dizzy. And it was, um, and I've talked to kids who were put in these saunas and as children being kind of I don't know if you're locked in it or just the door is closed and you feel like you can't open it. That's the stuff of nightmares. Oh, yeah. I mean, just the pressure, because they do. Once you go out, they say come out and cool down. But as soon as you get out, after like 30 seconds, all you will hear is get back in the box. Because that's what every every, every in charge of every purification sauna will tell anybody that. You could be outside puking. As soon as you're done puking, Get back in the box. And being in the box, so, you know, there, there's all this pseudoscience related to it. Um, there have been, you know, many articles and shows about it and, 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 and I'm curious how it was presented uh, for you on staff so that you would share it with other people with that kind of wording and that philosophy and that kind of science what was the supposed science behind it about spending all these hours in a sauna? Your drugs and drug residue will get stored in your fat, which it does not. That um, the niacin will clean out your fat and your blood of any residue, which it will not. Um, and that it'll clear your body of any radiation um, as well. So you have people that'll come in and say, well, I've never done any drugs. And I don't have an alcohol problem. And Scientology will say, oh, or not, you know, Narcanon, whatever. We'll say, well, okay, but have you taken psych drugs? Um, even if, you know, prescribed, they don't care. Or have you been around Roundup? That's the new big thing. Mm. Um, any uh, radiation, have you had a lot of uh, x-rays? I mean, or, you know, dental work. It's, there's a lot of reach out to what it can, can you know. I've yet to hear anybody say, oh, it won't help with that. Don't do it. Right, right. Okay, so uh, everything, everything that could possibly be toxic, no matter if the amount that you were exposed to was a dangerous level for your body or not, it becomes one of those things where it's immeasurable. So the the amount that you're coming in with is immeasurable in that center. And also how much they're, quote, unquote, curing you of it and releasing you of it is also immeasurable. So... So you, so what's the proof? I'm putting then proof in air quotes. What's the proof? What do you look for? What do you try to convince people of to show that this is helping them? 
um, their flashy books and just uh, success stories. And I'm not a reg, so I'm not really good at like closing people and selling them on it. Basically, I just know they refer to the materials and then they'll bring in someone into the room and, oh, well, look what it did for me and look how clear my eyes are and, you know, clear mind, clear body, clear body, clear mind. And um, yeah, but then they are feeling better because they have to go through detox first. And then they have the TRs, which we, the communication course, which is the, another core part of Narconon. There's three parts that I would say, be the detox, TRs, and then you do the sauna, the purification program. After that, it's about three months into it, you should be able to graduate, quote unquote. Okay. And then well, you were saying also that uh, they told you you were going to get paid for working there. And I don't know how long ago you were working there and what you got paid and what people get paid now. Um, we, there was nothing in writing. There was never a set amount. It was just um, we would get paid according to the stats of the week. So if, if we made money, if we were profitable that week and um, didn't have to send too much of the money over to ABLE or WISE, which are Narcan- our Scientology front groups, um, Narcanon sends a lot of money, spends a lot of money or not spends, but puts a lot of their money into those organizations. I used to take checks every week over to Narconon International that were made out to ABLE, to WISE, to Bridge Publications. Mm-hmm. But why are they paying WISE? Why are they paying ABLE? Why are we paying Delphi? I mean, all these Scientology front groups are getting a cut every week, and we weren't getting anything. There were times where we got nothing. There were plenty of months that we got maybe once a month, $15. Wow. I never made enough. To, I worked there for three three years. I never made enough to even come close to having to fill out a, a W or claim my taxes. Nothing. Not fill out a W. Whatever. Can, can you, like, fix that for me? Yeah. <laughs> I never worked there long enough to have to file my taxes. Right, because you didn't have enough income to... Right, right. And so the other thing that's so um, telling... Too, is that if this is a quote-unquote medical facility, um, people don't get paid on commission. I mean, you do at a clothing store, you know. So if you are any kind of clinician or somebody who knows their stuff, you get, you're a salaried person usually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then that just goes back to it being a sales job. So then the more people you could get into the program, the more you would make. But still, even if you got people in, you still weren't making a, a livable wage. No, not at all. And most staff had nothing to do with getting people in. So we were, count, you know, our, our, I can say my head was never in the, like, we need more people in this place so I can get a check. Because I never really thought like that. Um, it was more like I was convinced that if we you know, produced better, we would get paid. And because I can't control like who comes in, they sort of control it with Scientology application, like their thought thinking, thought thinking. Um, oh, thought stopping. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. It, it's, just, it's such a mess. It's people that should not be working with people that are there trusting people to do something to help them. The closest thing that to any like typical 12-step program, mm-hmm. as far as like taking self-responsibility or 
amends to you know society and to those you've hurt and all, you know any other thing that sounds reasonable um it would be something called uh we would have the student write up their overts and withholds it's an ethics procedure that Scientologists are subject to when they have um supposedly done something wrong or need to get something off their chest or something hasn't gone right and they're trying to get to the bottom of what they did to make something not go properly like a confessional and they're writing them down and they're turning them in and I'm to people that are, aren't trained or, you know, we're not psychologists or trained at all to help these people. And I'm sitting there reading like their life stories and all this shit they've done. And they feel like some sense of relief. And I'm sitting there trying to mask my horrified look that people have done this stuff. It, it's just not okay. It's not fair to them. It wasn't fair to me, you know? Right. No, not at all. And, and I think about the people I've talked to who were young. I mean, you were young. People talked to me who were younger also, who hadn't lived their life yet, really, hadn't also developed a certain kind of kind of desensitization to hearing those kinds of stories that happens throughout life when you hear people's stories. Some, some are still shocking no matter what your age is. Um, but I think knowing that you were subjected to that and exposed to that it's like this uh, kind of this underbelly, you know, things that you just don't want to know about and you're not even quite ready to take it in. And you had to really not have a reaction to it. There was one time that the, the write-up was so just unbelievably like disgusting to me and it would be to anybody that the CS called me in and said, okay, we're going to put you on the cans because we don't know what else to do with you. I was so sick. I was I couldn't stop crying for like hours and hours. It was just too much. And to this day, I remember. And it was, you know, it was about somebody like eating their feces is what it was. And I should never, like that is so above and beyond anything that I was in the realm to deal with, you know? Right. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking that this person's probably like, oh, great lady, thanks. You know, you're, you're first of all, you're younger than me, which was often the case. But it's just, I feel for them, you know, thinking, God, I can't imagine what, I probably just put up, you know, a big front and put my TRs in and I went back to work and read the next page of them. But it affected me so badly. Mm. And they were like, oh God, we're going to put you, you need to go on the cans. We need to pull you off lines. You're, you know, this isn't good. You're going to go. I was like, yeah, thanks. So then I felt better that they were helping me like to do a better job when, they created it in the first place. Right, right, exactly. So that happens almost all the time. So there's a, this kind of visual that I give that I got, you know, most of what I've learned in this field has been from former members. So uh, over and over again, I would get this visual when people would tell me about how much they were helped by the people in the group that someone came in the group, came up from behind them and pushed them on the back of their knees and knocked them down. But they weren't aware that the person in the group did that. And that's why they're on the ground. That's why they're on the floor. And then someone reaches down from the group in an obvious way in front of their face, reaches their hand down and helps them up and says, I'll help you during this hard time. So there is this very backwards causal relationship that there is somehow helping you, but they've put you in this traumatizing situation um, 
And you just used three terms that I know you know, I know, I know, but just for our listeners, when you were talking about putting your TRs in and going on the cans and um, pulling you off lines. So if we could do a little key, a little translation for people, if you don't mind, and then we'll go on. So let's start with putting, when you said putting my TRs in, can you describe what that's about? Sure. The um, communication course is one of the programs that you'll go through at Narconon. And it um, is based on training routines, which they call TRs. Um, there's a lot of different discussion about what the TRs actually do to your subconscious. Some people will tell you that it's putting you under. Um, you meet like a very suggestive state. Some people tell you, will tell you that you're completely um, at their, you know, any thought is up to the other person. They can do whatever they want to you. Um, thought-wise, I know that their training routines are supposed to help you deliver communication to the other person to get your thoughts across clearly and concisely the first time and to help with other people's communication to you, how to handle it to get what you want in the end. If you Mm. want them to keep talking, how to control the communication is what it is. So there's TRs that you do it physically. And there's TRs that you do it just verbally. And they're the two most, I call them the dangerous ones. Um, you have to sit for two hours, your hands on your knees in two hardback chairs. Um, I forget what the exact measurement is across from each other, two feet apart from each other. You have a twin facing you. And you have to confront, look at the other person in the eyes for two hours straight. Any type of flinching, coughing, you can blink, but you can't blink excessively. Anything that is taken as a discomfort, we will flunk you and you'll start all over again. So imagine two people coming off of drugs trying to do this, let alone by themselves, but then having to deal with the other person and them getting flunked and you having to start over. Oh, wow. So if the other person flunks, this part I didn't know, that then you both need to start up this person doesn't start with somebody else right oh my god okay you'll have a twin in the communications in the communications course that you'll go through your training routines with hopefully for the next you know hopefully there's somebody that is starting the course around the same time you are that's optimum okay if not they'll they'll make it work they'll find somebody they'll stop somebody from doing another course they'll get you a twin and but you're, it's also dependent on the twin, and they're doing it correctly. Oh my gosh! Okay, so I've talked to a lot of people who have said that one of the worst things for them in um, not only an occultic situation, but even in an abusive relationship or an abusive household, was, for example, like if they were raised in a household where if one kid did something wrong, all the kids were punished. Right. Uh, and so then you can just start hating your siblings mm-hmm. or the the coach who like when one person comes late, everyone has to, you know, run around the track, even though everyone else was there on time. And so you just hate that person. You hated that guy. Remember? Yeah. Oh, right. Run around the gym. Right. Like, oh my God. <laughs> right. And I didn't want to run around it once. <laughs> So was that kind of built in where you would just get so frustrated with the other person that here you you could have been at like one hour and 59 minutes and the other person coughs? Yep. Okay. And there is nothing sensible 
about Narcanon. Just like there's, you know, they're trained as Scientologists not to give an, you're not going to give an inch. You know, it makes sense to go, okay, you were 30 seconds away from it. You guys got the point. You did well. Absolutely not. Not happening. Right. It's very rigid. We're going to start from the beginning, but yeah. Okay. Right. And then when you were talking about going on the cans, so I know that's the e-meter, but what, uh, so describe to people the cans um, and then what, what the point of that was in this context. Okay. The cans um, are the e-meter that will measure, you know, electricity or is supposed to measure different waves and reactions in your body to questions and to get um, relief off of certain traumatic events um, by questions and answers and going through this and the way they measure that session is by holding the cans and there's a needle on it it's a glorified lie detector kind of and there's a needle on it that'll go back and forth and the person that's auditing you that's asking you the questions will decide when the session's over by that needle it's it's esoteric i certainly am no expert at it i know you're going to get a lot of people going she doesn't know what the hell she's talking about she's <laughs> i i don't i've never ran one i've only been on the other end yeah well but people can now luckily also for the for the interwebs um that people can check it out and they can see how it's done and they can also hear from people who learned how to cheat the system which was an interesting thing you can easily cheat the cans you can bring them together there's several ways to do it it's so bogus. It's all, I mean, there is, I just can't stress enough that if there were one positive thing, I would find it envy. I wouldn't be probably shouting into the new rooftops, but I would be happy to find it and say, well, at least I had this that I yeah. thought for sure. Everything else was proving me wrong, but there was still this. There's nothing. I want it out. So when I want it out, that's a whole nother story. You want to get into that? <laughs> I do. One sec, because I, because I, I love what you just said about how if you could have just had that thing that where you said, okay, I, at least I learned this and I got this and I could share this with people or I help people in this way, because that says something about, well, it says something about you in so many ways. One is you, like most people don't want to feel like you had wasted your effort, your time, your money, all of it. Right. But also if you have a conscience you want to know that you've got something that's effective, not only in your life, but in the life of other people. And you can feel proud of being a part of a system like that. Um, and when you're just grasping and you can't quite find a thing, it's it's really devastating and it's very trippy. And you also just said one other phrase that I just want you to define when you talked about um, pulling you offline. Sure. Um, pulling you offline should be taking you away from any public. Um, so that you can't complain, that you can't give off any bad vibes. Um, that you're it, you're going to not be doing your job. Someone else is going to do your job for a while until you, you get your situation, whatever it is, um, taken care of. So that okay. you can be back amongst public and not be what they're afraid. Their biggest fear is bad PR. It, Narcan on Scientology, all of it. They hate bad PR. So to have someone walking around as a liability, like, no, 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 no. We can't have anybody that might possibly be upset mm-hmm. to the point that they don't think it's their fault yet. They still think it's our fault. Right. So we're going to, you know, we can't, that's a huge, like, nope. <laughs> that's a huge, <you> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I realize also, as we're about to talk about how you left, I forgot to ask you at the beginning, 
how did you get involved? I mean, the, I, like, can we just start there for a sec? What your interest was? Um, I was never a Scientologist. Uh -huh. I didn't know anything about Scientology. I didn't know any Scientologists. I have grown up all my life in Southern California, though. So that being said, it wasn't the big deal that it is now um, mainstream-wise. Like, there was no way to hear about it unless you were looking for it or you were walking downtown L.A., but out in Newport Beach or, you know, Palos Verdes. It wasn't a thing. Right. Um, I had taken a job at Pacific Bell in Torrance as a 411 operator. And um, I was really excited to get the job because it was like, wow, I can work for Pac Bell and, you know, I don't have to work out and go party on the weekend. Like, <laughs> happy. And people were calling in a lot and asking for numbers for the Church of Scientology on, um, I can't think of, you know, Big Blue, or they mm -hmm. call it the Celebrity Center. Yeah. And I was, and so finally I just asked this one guy, and it wasn't like every call. It was just like enough that it stood out, you know. Mm -hmm. and I asked this one guy that called in once, and I was like, what is this? And he's like, well, hey, you know, I'll cut, you want to walk around? I'll show you what it is. And I was just like, no. But he called me again a couple of days later, and I went, and I met him. And we walked around Narconon. We hadn't talked about Scientology, and he offered me a job. He was like, I mean, right then, I was like, wait, what? You know, but he was like, well, we could train you. You could be, like, using your people skills so much better and all your wants to help people. You're not helping people what you're doing. Now you're handing out phone numbers, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay. So when I say that I was never set out to be a Scientologist, I don't consider myself one or really even an ex-Scientologist I got to be a Scientologist by accident just because there was no other way to be at Narcanon I mean I think I was sole hook line and sinker probably within days of being there mm -hmm. the love you know just the the love bombing you know and it was that's how I that's how I got in I didn't go in like as um a Scientologist or I didn't go in as um any you know with any real knowledge of what it was at all except that what he told me and I took him at face value which was my first mistake right well it's true for most people I think for most things especially if you feel like um you're now surrounded by people who seem really kind of interested in you and nice and want to make a difference and however they build themselves yeah. Um, it's going to lower your defenses. You're not going to ask questions. You're not also, if you're a trustworthy person, mm -hmm. um, you're going to assume that what's true for you is true for other people. And so, um, it's become sort of a shock to people's system at times, um, when they're straight shooters that other people were not with them. Um, and also to find out that probably some of the people who were telling you about how great this program was did believe it themselves. They were just fed information that wasn't correct. Yeah, I, I believe that. One more thing before you go. I am so happy you got to hear the beginning of my talk with Samantha. And next week, you will hear more about how she was freed from this prison of sorts that she was in and what happened to her afterwards. Most definitely take a listen next week. It's extremely powerful and a true story of survival.
It is astounding to hear about what happens in some of these treatment centers or places that call themselves rehabs. I have so many clients who have been in residential centers that were for a variety of different kinds of treatments, supposedly, but there was rampant abuse and horrible conditions and fear, actually terror, most of the time in these places. And there were no safeguards, and there was no one watching over people there, and no laws protecting people. And very often, people in these situations learn to just go along so they can survive and just hope one day to be freed from an environment that's causing more trauma and, ironically, more need for therapy and rehab than they ever had experienced or needed before. What I found so moving about Samantha's story was how she really wanted to do good, how she really thought that by going on staff at a place called Narconon that she was able to help people who had addiction. She was able to do good things for people, and she chose a job that had meaning, or so she thought. Even if something turns out to not be what it promised you it was, that's not on you. People who get involved in these organizations and work there are usually people who have good intentions and good hearts, and there is a sincerity, an earnestness, and you can see how earnest they are. It's the ones who are in charge, or the ones actually who developed the program, who I believe are acting with dangerous abandon. Knowing that Narconon is based upon teachings by L. Ron Hubbard, who had no medical or psychiatric, or psychological, or intervention, or 12-step, or rehab training, or background, then if anything works there while you're there, I think, or I would have to assume, it's probably by chance. Or maybe it's the placebo effect, or maybe you didn't have that dependency or that issue or diagnosis to begin with, so there was really nothing to cure you of. The name Narconon sounds legit like other programs for people dealing with narcotics, people in 12-step programs that have the Anon at the end, like Al-Anon. But Narconon has been called one of the many front names for organizations used to draw people into Scientology without realizing they're getting drawn into Scientology. When you hear about how many front groups Scientology has, you can see how often the public is fooled, unfortunately, and how their good intentions are undermined because they think they're getting involved in something or donating to something that is very different than it labels itself to be. While most organizations that I come across in my particular work have front names that make them sound more legitimate, Scientology is particularly good at finding names for its organizations that are the most ironic just starting with the name of their magazine, Freedom Magazine, and how it's often used as a forum to keep people in the Scientology mode of thinking, or used as an opportunity to slam people who are their critics or just their former members. And other names where they're clearly trying so hard, too hard, I think, to convey that they care about human rights. Here's a short list. The Citizen Commission on Human Rights, Scientology Organization, the Association for Better Living and Education, otherwise known as ABLE or ABLE, also Scientology, Computer Ethics Institute, uh, Criminon, 
a rehabilitation program for prisoners, which actually is in some prisons. The International Foundation for Human Rights and Tolerance. There's one. Highly ironic. I also remember after 9-11, there were so many concerned citizens and so many people wanting to know what to do and wanting to donate money. And there was a feeling of protectiveness and patriotism and connection and wanting to make a difference. And organizations made a lot of money, legitimate organizations during that time, as well they should have because they were doing good work. And they were helping people heal and sending money to the victims and to their families. But during a Fox News broadcast of a memorial service that was being held at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., right after 9-11, there was a crawling banner at the bottom of the screen with a toll-free number for an organization that was called the National Mental Health Assistance Program. And it was a Scientology front. So the National Mental Health Association got wind of it and filed a complaint. But that's what they do. They will take advantage of people's pain, I think, and their openness during certain times in their lives, and also use names that sound very much like legitimate organizations. And I'm sure, as all of you know, you don't have to deal with groups like Scientology to be introduced to something that doesn't actually do anything but sounds very legitimate. I remember an organization called The Hunger Project, where I went to one of their talks to check them out and where they raised so much money for their organization. But I kept waiting for them to talk about what they did, and I just never heard it. I never heard of any action steps. I heard them talk about how hunger is an important issue to talk about. I heard them talk about the percentages of people who go to bed hungry, which is important to know. I heard them talk about how important it is for people to be reminded that hunger is a big issue and should not be ignored and that people should not assume the situation is resolved even if they don't see hungry people around them. And I heard them talk about how they needed to raise money so that they could continue to raise awareness. But I'm sure you can hear what's missing. I kept waiting for the obvious, which never, never came. What were they going to be doing about people going to bed hungry? Were they feeding anyone? Nope. Were they setting up food banks or soup kitchens? Nope. So where was the money going? It turned out the money was going to them so they could continue lecturing people about how they needed to raise money to let people know that they should care about hunger. How do you like that? Many people capitalize on other people's good natures and their conscience and desire to make a difference. But sometimes there is no there there. Nothing is happening of any consequence. And at best, there really is very little and it's kind of an empty effort. But at the worst, things are happening in some of these organizations and in some of these places that have dire consequences. I appreciate all those who want to do good things and the staff at places like Narcanon who really do care. There is something so wrong though with an organization hiding its true intentions for covering up what it really is 
And what it really is often is an opportunity to assert power over other people or an opportunity just to make money without providing people with any care. So while I am not someone who likes to judge a book by its cover, I will judge a book by its cover up. Talk to you next week. Indoctrination is available for download on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and more. Please support Indoctrination at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Subscribers receive bonus episodes, interviews, and other cool goodies. Send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. Thank you for your support. And if you can't become a paid subscriber, I will be so grateful for any and all support that you show. Whether it's subscribing on SoundCloud, YouTube, or Patreon, or giving us a like on our Indoctrination Facebook page or following our Twitter and Reddit feeds. Thank you for keeping up with us and for keeping the show going. Until next time, Rachel. Rachel.